Christmas is full of joyful, joyful music. Have you noticed that? As a matter of fact, if you think about it, almost all the great carols that we love talk about that. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Shepherds, why this jubilee? Why your joyous strains prolong? And this one, good Christian men and women, rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies with the angelic host proclaim. Christ is born in Bethlehem. It's uh, time to sing songs that are joyful because Christmas is supposed to be a joyful, joyful time. Many years ago, centuries ago, there was a song written by a man that was for the second coming. The purpose of the song, the whole song, is about the second coming of Jesus. We call the first coming of Jesus, sometimes we call that when Jesus was born in a manger, the first advent appearing of Jesus. And the second advent will be when he appears again and he, in power and great glory. There will be the rapture of the church, but then later the appearance of Christ and power and, and great glory. And this song that he wrote was a song about the second coming. And we know this song as a Christmas song. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. And that's really a second coming song. If you really study it carefully, as a matter of fact, at the end of the message today, we're, we're going to sing that, that song together. But joy isn't automatic. Joy doesn't, if you figured this out, joy doesn't just automatically come because it's Christmas. And joy doesn't just automatically come because we live in a world full of useful gifts that God has given us. It's not, joy isn't automatic. And I didn't, I didn't have to tell you that. You knew that already. You know that joy is kind of elusively out there somewhere, but often it's like not our experience. But joy should be just like a part of our lives and part of the Christmas story. In Luke, as a matter of fact, in chapter 2, probably the, 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 the birth narrative that maybe is our favorite, or one of our favorites, is this angelic announcement. We talked about it a bit last week. And in the angelic announcement to the shepherds, there is embedded this statement of joy, which is kind of foundational statement of joy to the whole world. The angel says to them, do not be afraid. Behold, this is Luke 2, 10 and 11. Luke 2, 10 and 11. The angel says to them, Do not be afraid, but behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Good news, great joy, all people. What in the world would be such good news? It would be this. A Savior has come. A Savior has come. When you realize you need deliverance, a Savior, we're talking here not military deliverance, but save our Savior from our worst problem, which is our own sinful self. The Savior has come, and this is why Christmas is to be a joyous time. But because we now live under a curse, this sin curse on the world, and that you know, think that makes sense. That's why little children get cancer, and people get hit by the car, and you get laid off in December, and we could just go on and on because we live in a in a sin cursed world. Why the rose has a thorn? Because we live in a sin cursed world. Why? The world isn't really a safe place to live, but a dangerous place. And why there's war everywhere that we can't seem to get stopped because it's a sin-cursed world. And we feel that. No, This is a line from Joy to the World. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. So when Jesus came in, he was born in a manger. Did he do that? Not yet. Because that's not a Christmas song, really. It's a second coming song. And when he does come in the second coming, he's going to do that. 
No more thorns on the roses. No more curse. He comes to make his blessing flow far as the curse is found. So in the meantime, we're going to have to work at joy. we got to work at it a little bit. He's going to help us. And there's so many things he's given to us. I could go on all day. Does anybody here doubt that? I could go on all day. But I'm not going to do that just all morning. And so I want to give you an even dozen reasons to be happy. An even dozen ways to kind of force the blues out of your life. Okay? And I don't want to be like, I had a friend who, who suffered with chronic depression. Maybe you'd call it clinical depression. He had a serious, serious problem with depression. And this brother, he, he was a dear Christian man who loved the Lord deeply and invested in the Lord's work and helped God's people, but he struggled, and many of his family members struggled with chronic, ongoing, maybe you would want to call it clinical depression. And, and he tried a lot of different things. You know, you wonder, is this because of something I did wrong? Is it because of my sin? Or is it because of something else? Or is it demonic? What is it? It's a great mystery. He didn't know. I didn't know for sure. He said, would you mind if we got together and we prayed that everybody would just come together and pray for me, that God would just lift this oppression from me. I'm like, that's a good idea. Now that can't hurt, right? So he got a whole bunch of his friends together and just bomb him with prayer. And they came from all over, different denominations, different groups. Some were a little fruity. So we get together and we're sitting in his table maybe i was i don't know but we're sitting at this table the poor guy's and it's just despair you know he's sitting there he's slumped over the table he's invited people to come there's some food to eat some there's some two liter bottles of pop on the table and some food to eat and there's a guy there that's getting like direction from god directly so i also thought it would be really cool but i just don't know if it ever happens you know like that and he's like okay wait a minute he would talk like that he was like okay wait a minute hold it almost like he's like trying to get radio signals from heaven it's like okay all right, okay, yeah, I think this is what the Lord wants me to say. He says, so we're all like all ears, right? So he goes, it's this, and it's this, and it's this, and it's this. And he's tapping the top of the two-liter bottles of pop. He's like, this stuff has got chemicals in it. This stuff is bad for you. This is why you're having the trouble with depression. My friend quietly says, I'm sitting right next to him, so I hear him say, I don't drink this stuff. And this guy over here, because he's hearing from God, can't hear this guy. He's going, I know that sounds weird to you, but I'm just feeling like God is, wants me to tell you that it's this. And then this guy says, I don't drink this stuff. It's like making him more depressed, you know? I felt so bad for my friend. I thought, I hope I'm not going to do that with you today. Because some of you are a little sorrowful sometimes. And some of you, you struggle with discouragement from time to time. Or when things go really bad in your life, you've got to get yourself out of the blues. And some of you are chronically depressed. And I just want to tell you, I love you, we love you, and what I have to say to you today can be very, very helpful to you. But if you have a serious problem with chronic kind of ongoing depression, it's important that you have specific help, one-on-one, eyeball-to-eyeball, that you make sure that your whole physical thing is checked out, the organic thing, that you're very thorough about that. So I'm not going to be that guy that has a word from the Lord that he thinks is from the Lord, and then like the prophet Jeremiah says, heals a wound slightly. If you have cancer, I'm not going to give you a Band-Aid or a sugar pill today. But here's what I would like to encourage you. I'm going to give you an even dozen things, 12 different ways to be happy or 12 different ways to be joyful. And no matter what your circumstances or how depressed you are or how sad you are, I would suggest every one of these things is a biblical thing that you can do and you'll find some joy, you'll find some happiness, even if you have to force your way through a very dark, gloomy life. 
And so I just want to share these today, and, and, and you know, obviously there are a dozen, so that's probably freaking you out really bad. You're thinking, seriously, a dozen? And, and we've got a concert tonight? So I've got to move, because you do want to get to that concert tonight. I was there last night. It's just awesome. That would be like number 13, come to the concert tonight. But let me go back to number one. Number one, be justified by faith. Get saved. How to display status? Be saved. That's kind of obvious. You've you got to know that you know that you're right with the creator of the universe, that you're born again, that your sins are forgiven, that you're confident that you have a home in heaven, not because you're a good person or because you're religious, but because you understand what it means to be saved. If you don't get that, a lot of people here that would love to school you on that. They would love to coach you on that. They would love to guide you on that. I would love to do that. I would buy you, you would get free coffee out of this deal. And I would sit down and I would explain to you how you can know for sure that you are right with God. The Bible says that's why Jesus came. 1 Timothy 1.15 says this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save good religious people. Misquote, right? Do you love it when pastors do that? No, that's not what the Bible says. He came into the world to save. Say it. Sinners. Anybody here qualify? Anybody? Yeah. My wife and I had extra money once. This doesn't happen very often. It's Christmas time. We have this extra money. Not much, just a little. And we're driving through this area that's extremely poor. I mean, dude, we live in a poor area, but we were driving through even a poorer area than where we lived. And, and, and Lois goes, look at that. There's a bunch of little kids that are out playing. She goes, let's go back. I'm like, what do you, what do you want? And she goes, let's just give them some money. And I'm like, okay. We have our own poor children. You know, what? And she goes, let's just go back. Come on, let's go back. So I remember driving the car back. It's snowy, and we're going Christmas shopping. And we're just like slowly driving through this little area. And there's a whole bunch of little kids playing. And most of them, they bail. And I roll my window down. And, and, my, and, and then this one little extrovert of a kid, he comes over and he goes, can I help you? And I said, yeah, I'm looking for a kid that might be able to use some extra money at Christmas time. He goes, yeah, that would be me. And I, I give him the money. And he's like, thanks a lot, mom, dad. And he literally, I mean, just a perfect way to receive a gift. You're just like trembling, happy, running back to the house going, mom, dad, mom, dad. Like, he's different than me. I wouldn't be telling my mom and dad. I'd be like, thank you. <laughs> Put it in my pocket. I'm like, mom, dad, I got extra money. It's like, we were just looking for a kid who was willing to admit that he needed 20 bucks. We weren't that generous, right? It was <laughs> 20 bucks. Jesus came to this world looking for people to willing to admit they need a savior, that they feel guilty that they've broken God's law, that something isn't right. Are you that person? If he comes into... God sent his son Jesus into the world to save sinners. To qualify, you have to admit you're a sinner. First Peter three eighteen. For Christ suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Isn't that a great verse? And, and Isaiah says this, and I love this. This is a prophetic 700 years before Christ, it talks about Christ and says, He bore our grief. He carried our sorrows. Jesus Christ bore our grief and carried our sorrows. You're sad. He understands. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. When he died on the cross, something cool happened to help people with their sadness. Something big happened to help us with our sadness. That's number one. Number two, avoid unbiblical sympathy. I put it like this in, in my fuller notes. Avoid the infection or the contamination of unbiblical sympathy. Sometimes people, because they like you, you're down, you're not happy, and maybe there's good reasons for that. 
And they're like, you're okay, I love you, and they're sympathetic. Jay Adams has written some very good counseling books, and in it he says this, stay away from people who give you the wrong kind of sympathy and encourage your self-pity and excuse-making and brooding and neglect of your responsibilities. I thought it was a great quote. Well, I'll just quote it again because it's a little complex. Jay Adams says, when you're discouraged, when you're struggling with being blue, stay away from people who would give you the wrong kind of sympathy and encourage your self-pity and excuse-making and brooding and the neglect of your responsibilities. That's good counsel. Avoid unbiblical sympathy. Uh, stay, stay away from getting counsel from anybody who's not walking with the Lord. Don't let yourself be influenced. You're an influencer if you're a Christian. Don't let yourself be influenced by the people around you who don't know the Lord. That's important. You should get out there, but you should go out there with, with a sense of love and identification for lost people. But this constant consciousness, you are a child of God. You are different. You think differently. You cannot be contaminated by the kind of diseases that are killing people in the world. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, evil company corrupts good habits. So if you have fellowship with people who don't love God, after a while you're not going to love God. Proverbs 22 24 and 25 say, don't make a friendship with an angry man and with a furious man. You shall not go. Just stay away from them. Lest you learn his ways and they become a snare to your soul. In Proverbs 14 and verse 7 it says, go from the presence of a foolish man when you don't perceive in him the lips of knowledge. So you understand, we teach you go out into the world where lost people are. But you go out there, and you know, you, again, you go into the world where lost people are, recognizing there's a, con, there's a continual, there's a sincere difference. There's a real difference, a distinction between you and them. It's not like you're going, you're holier than thou, because you realize you're a sinner that God saved and forgave, and that you're vulnerable, but you, but you also recognize the possibility of contamination. Let's not forget that. Now, that's true when you have sorrows and you're sad and, you know, you want to go to a person that says, hey, maybe you're sad, maybe, not always, but maybe you're sad because you did something wrong. Maybe you're sad because you're brooding, even though something bad happened to you that wasn't your fault, your reaction to it was sinful and you're brooding and full of self-pity and that isn't going to help you. And so if a person pats you on the back during that time, they're kind of not your friend, even though they're trying to be your friend. So you want to stay away from people who aren't wise avoid unbiblical sympathy. Make sure that there's appropriate sympathy and inappropriate sympathy. Now, the third thing is this. Fully confess and forsake any sin. Because we know this. A lot of times, sadness and sin are connected. Sin and sadness are always connected. Not all sadness comes from your sin. It may, may come from somebody else. There may be feelings of sadness that come because of something somebody else did or because we live in a sin-cursed world. But frequently, you've got to connect sin and sadness. So one of the first things you want to do is you want to do what you should do anyway, and that is examine your life and see if there's anything in your life that isn't right, that isn't pleasing to the Lord, that's counter to the Bible. Confess it and forsake it and be very thorough about this. It's amazing how your heart gets light. Now, I'll tell you a little secret. One of the secrets of my message today is that I found a lot of my stuff in a special book. It's a very good book. You'll like it. It's called The Bible, and it's a, pro, it's a book of Psalms in the Bible. If you take the book of Psalms, you get a highlighter pen and look for happiness in Psalms and look for the word blessed as in happy, like really super happy. It's a great book for that. So I did that with this. And listen to what it says in Psalm 32. Blessed, happy, is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. 
Blessed, happy is the one whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. When you get your heart right with the Lord and you clean and pure and you confess your sin, there's happiness that flows in. Listen, a lot of people are not happy because they haven't confessed their sin. It's that simple. And I know with me this is very true. If there's a cloud over my soul, almost always it can be lifted if I examine my heart, I say, you know what? I've given into the sin of self-pity here. I need to confess that. I need to recognize that God is sovereign. God is in control. He's allowing things to happen for my good and for the good of others and for His glory. And then I'm out of the dumps. Not always that way, but it's frequently that way. And listen to what it says in verse 3. When I kept silent. This is Psalm 32. Great passage. When I kept silent. In other words, I was unwilling to confess my sin. My bones grew old through groaning all day long, and night and day, day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my vitality was turned into the drought of summer. But when I acknowledge my sins to you and my iniquity I have not hidden, and I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Jumping to verse 10, it says, Many sorrows are to the wicked, but he who trusts the Lord, mercy will surround him. Be glad in the Lord. Rejoice, you righteous Shout for joy, you upright in heart. Listen, this is a great truth. If you want the sadness to lift from your life, you want to be born again. Make sure you know the Lord. Make sure you get around people that aren't going to give you false sympathy so that you won't repent of your sins. And third, confess and forsake anything that you know is sin in your life and watch the sun come out from behind the clouds. Watch springtime dawn in your life. Listen, I want to say this in love to you. Some of you, your personalities are like, it's easy for you to ask forgiveness. You are blessed. You're blessed people. Shouldn't be trite about your sin. Others of you, you're just, you're tough, you're hard. It's hard for you because of your personality, kind of the way you're wired. It's very hard for you to confess sin. I'm going to say this. If you never admit you're wrong, but I mean, everybody's wrong, right? Everybody does stuff that's wrong. And you never openly admit it or confess it like with your family members or your loved ones or God, I guarantee you, you're going to live with a cloud over your head. You're going to, there's going to be a dark cloud over your head and a darkness in your soul. But when you confess your sin, it's so sweet. It's not easy, it's not fun, but it's sweet. It's like sunshine comes out, flowers blossom. It's Christmas time in your soul, the bells ring. It's like you've got to do that. You'd be surprised. How simple that is. That's a profound truth from the Bible. As a matter of fact, the Bible really teaches that when you don't confess sin and you, 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 you look to things to give you what only God can give you, the Bible calls that idolatry. In the Bible, it talks about that a lot. And that takes me to a psalm here. It's Psalm 16 that I think is interesting. It, it, it says in Psalm 16, verse 4, their sorrows will be multiplied who hasten after another God. In other words, if sex is your God, you're going to be sad. If food is your God, you're going to be sad. If money is your God, you're going to be sad. If religion is your God, you're going to be sad. If you hasten after another God, idolatry, you're going to be sad. It's one of the reasons you're going to be sad. But notice what it says. He says, but I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. This is Psalm 16, 7. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart instructs me in the night season. I've set the Lord always before me. Really worshiping God, not idolatry, right? Because He is at my right hand, I will not be moved, and therefore my heart is glad and my glory will rejoice. When you worship God, gladness comes to your soul. 
when you worship idols, sadness comes to your soul. Maybe that's one of the reasons you're not happy, is because your God is puny. Your God is weak. Your God is incapable of doing what only God can do. And you need to worship God. That's what it teaches there. Forsake false gods. That's interesting here. I, I kind of put a little couplet together for you to see. Understand, sadness and sin are connected. Sadness and sin are connected. They're connected in a complex way. Like, for instance, I mean, if, if I, let's just say, okay, my daughter Holly is sitting here on the end, so she gets to be my sermon illustration here. And, and I wouldn't do this, but let's say that, say, she comes home and she parks her car in my parking place. I'm like, this is my house, and that's my parking place. And that's not her parking place, my parking place. And let's say that she does. I'm not saying that she's ever done this. I'm not saying she did it yesterday. I'm just saying it could happen, right? <laughs> and I come home, and I'm like, you know, I work hard here, and I'm the king of this little castle, you know? And it seems like I ought to be able to have my <laughs> parking place. You're hating on me right now. I can tell you. You're going, what a jerk. The nice little girl can't even park up close to the house. So what if I went in and I go, I want to talk to Holly. You know, and I'm just like, I, I, like, Holly, what do you think you're doing? You know, that's my parking place. You know, Holly, do I ever do this? No. It's like you're too slow to answer. So you cannot eat this week. I never do this, but I could, you know. What if I did? I'm like, and I just yell at her and I was like, then you know what? That's not going to be, uh, we're not going to have, it's not good. That I sin, it's going to bring sadness to me. Now, she's going to be sad too, but she didn't sin. I mean, the parking thing, that wasn't sin, you know. That's just smart. Okay, so she's not going to sin, but she's going to be probably likely to feel sad too because of my sin. I'm sad because I sin, and I'm not going to feel good about that. All of a sudden, my sweet relationship with my daughter is kind of broken or, or it's, it's hurt, and I don't feel close and loving to her, and she's like hurt, and people are offended in the house. They're like, dude, what in the world, you know. They're, they're mad. Dog growls at me. It's not good. Sad, right? My wife is like, Seriously? Really? Who do you think you are? You know, she would probably give me a bit of instruction about that because I have a good, faithful wife like that. Sin, sometimes you sin and sadness comes into your life. Sometimes you live in a world where people sin against you. You react without wisdom or, or you react sinfully and more sadness comes into your life. Sometimes we just plain live in a fallen, sin-cursed world and sadness comes. Listen to this carefully because I think this is kind of cool. Now, I've taught you this before, but I, I'll say it again because I want you to kind of get this embedded in your soul. Every time you see sin, it can be, sadness, you can be traced to sin. And here's how you unravel it. It's just awesome to think about this, okay? First of all, if it's your sin, like you sinned against God, you need to be born again so all your sins will be forgiven. That's called justification, justification by faith. Jesus Christ died to pay for our sins. And we don't have to pay for our sins. We can't pay for our sins, but he did. And we live under this cloud of mercy. We live in a garden of mercy all the time. We live with the sun of mercy rising on us all the time. The older I get, the more I like that, the more I think about that. I have to be justified by faith. Therefore, my sins are not on my account anymore. They're on Jesus' account. My perfect, sweet Savior, Jesus, took them on himself. And he was crushed for my iniquities. And his mercies are new every morning. And in religion, right? So... I'm justified by faith. Now, what about my ongoing problem with sin? My, it's easy for me to get angry or be selfish or be lustful. And what about that? That's where sanctification comes in, that ongoing progressive work of the Holy Spirit in you, helping you to overcome sin and reality in your life. See what I mean? So if there's sin, go justification first. That takes care of your sin before God. Then go sanctification. I need to grow in the Lord. And then what about the sin that's in the world? You just hear about people shooting each other, little children being shot and killed, people 
taken their lives, just horrible, sad things that just crush us. And you think, how can I ever be happy and joyful with all these terrible things that happen in my world? Wars and people, and I can't get it unraveled, and the whole mess with the Congress and money and the fiscal cliff and all the craziness in a world that's going on. And everybody has an opinion and right to work and union and what's right, who knows? Sin, curse, world. And that's glorification. Here's how that works practically. When I'm going through something that's got me confused or hurt in a sin-cursed world and it tends to make me feel discouraged or blue or or depressed, I think God is sovereign. He's in control. I look toward the end where He's going to make everything right. It lifts my spirits. So if my sadness comes from my own sin because I'm not justified by faith, need to get born again. If my sadness comes from my own sin because I'm a Christian, but I need to grow in the Lord, I need to concentrate on my sanctification. If my sadness comes from the fact that I live in a sin-cursed world, I get to, I get to think about the time when Jesus is going to reign on this earth and it's not going to be sad and unjust and violent anymore. He's going to take the government on his shoulders and there's going to be great joy through the whole eternal kingdom of God. In other words, the Bible says, it applies, sadness and sin are connected. Salvation and gladness are connected. Happiness and holiness are linked. A lot of times I think, you know, we tend to think, oh, I can either be holy or I can be happy. I've had people tell me this. I can either choose to be holy or I can choose to be happy, but I can't be both. Hey folks, you can't really be happy unless you are holy. And happiness and holiness are are woven together, they're linked together. And again, this is repetition, but sin and sadness are linked. Before we go on, let me just say something. You know, you say, well, this joy, is it possible? Yeah, it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, remember? Love, joy, peace, and Galatians, it says, it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's what the Holy Spirit does in a person who doesn't hinder the Holy Spirit. So if you're saved, you get the Holy Spirit, moves in you, and you're baptized or indwelt by the Holy Spirit at salvation. According to the Bible, Romans chapter 8. Now, the Holy Spirit lives in you. That's like pretty powerful stuff, right? God lives in you. So, I'm like, if God lives in you, you ought to look pretty godly. If God lives in you, you ought to say really great things. You ought to have really great ideas. If God lives in you, you ought to have constant impulses to do things that are very neat and very good and very cool. Why is that that some of us don't? And we sit around looking crabby all the time, don't do the right thing, lives full of sin, because we grieve or quench or resist the Holy Spirit. But if we don't grieve or quench or resist the Holy Spirit, then out of our innermost being, the Bible says in John chapter 7, flows rivers of living water. There's life and vitality, evidence of life and vitality flowing out of every believer if he doesn't hinder or grieve or resist or quench the Holy Spirit. The natural Christian life should be the Spirit flows out of us everywhere we go. It's love that comes out of us. It's joy that comes out of us. Get it? Joy. So if you don't have joy, it might be because you've hindered God who lives in you if you're a believer. So it's something you don't want to do. You want to not hinder him. And the main way to hinder him is that little ugly three-letter word, sin, and any of its ugly, various, tricky forms, sin. Let's go to the next one, pray. That's a big one. Pray and cry out to the Lord and don't stop. That's in Isaiah 40, and it's all over the Bible, but I love this one in Isaiah 40. This is, a, this is a happiness, joy passage. I waited patiently for the Lord. That's like I depended on Him, implying prayer. I waited. 
And he inclined unto me, and he heard my cry, and he brought me up out of a horrible pit and out of the miry clay, and he set my feet on a rock, and he established my goings. Pastor Fine, you'll like this part. And he put a song in my mouth. You've heard this before, right? He put a song in my mouth. Even praise to our God. Many shall see it and fear and put their trust in the Lord. That's what we hope happens tonight. People up here just singing their hearts out, just singing, ringing. This place will be filled with beautiful music tonight. And we hope that people sitting out there get jealous. They go, come on in the world. These people really seem happy. They're just singing away. You know why? It's, cause we never ha- it's not because we never were in a pit. We've been in a pit just like you. The pit of our own sin, the curse on the world, the terrible things that happen. But he's put a new song in our mouth. Even praise unto God. Many will see it, fear, put their trust in the Lord. And so when I'm in the pit, what do I do? I wait patient on the Lord. I cry out to him. When you are sad, pray. When you're worried, pray. Pray without ceasing. Pray all the time. But talk to God. I mean, you might think, oh, yeah, yeah, I heard that. That's a Band-Aid. No, that's not a Band-Aid. Prayer is a big deal. It's the essence of Christian expression. Talking to God, communicating with God, it's a big deal. You can't say you love somebody you don't talk to. You can't say you love somebody you don't listen to. God sometimes waits to act until you ask. So what you need, ask for. If you're discouraged, talk to the Lord. Pray. What if God's allowing that affliction to come so that you will be drawn to Him and then you just walk or drive and pray and pray and pray? Then He will take you out of a miry pit and set your feet on a rock and establish your goings on. Put a song in your mouth that's awesome. i got to keep moving. Pray. Here's another one of the round dozen things to help make you happy from the Bible. Help other people, especially the poor. This is all over the Bible, but in, in Psalm 41, it says, Blessed is the one who considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble, preserve him, and keep him alive. He will be blessed on the earth. Happiness comes to a person who concentrates on other people. So one of the things we get into, the doldrums or the blues or, or discouragement, because we're kind of thinking about ourselves a lot, and how many of you have noticed that when you start to just love other people, even when you're down, you're feeling discouraged, or you're kind of blue, and you just invest in other people, and you start helping other people, you start noticing the things that other people are going through, that you're going to find yourself all of a sudden kind of on top of things again. That's just true in the natural, but it's true in the supernatural according to the Lord. And this is what the Scriptures teach. And so concentrate selfishly on other people. Concentrate selfishly on other people. How many of you think I just, I just mispronounced a word? I did it on purpose. God's made us that we desire our own happiness. It's just the way we are. We can't not do that. You cannot not desire your own happiness, right? You just are going to. That's what I think. I believe that with all my heart. The reason I believe that is because all over the Bible we're told to seek joy and to work for joy and to help other people have joy and have joy ourselves. And it's assumed, I came so that you can have joy, obviously because he knows we want to have joy and it's legitimate to want to have joy. So here's how to be joyful. Selflessness, love, giving. That's why Jesus said, it's quoted in Acts chapter 20 and verse 35, but it's Jesus who said it. He said what? It's more happy, it's happier, it's more blessed to what? Right? At Christmas time, when you're a little kid and they give you stuff, it's happy. Am I right? If you're a little kid, you're like, that's right. <laughs> Bring on the video games, right? Yes, I'm, now I'm a happy man, you know? But when you're, I'll just tell you this, you're a kid, you don't know this yet, but one day, God's going to bless you with a little child, maybe. And then that, you can't wait for that little child to get old enough to enjoy the gift giving at Christmas time. 
And then you're going to bust yourself. You're going to risk your life in traffic. You're going to fight with old ladies for coupons. You're going to get... Sorry if you're an elderly lady. No disrespect intended. I have a lot of elderly ladies I love in my life. But anyway, and you go out there and you arm wrestle people so you can get that thing because you are so fun and happy to put a smile on a loved one's face. Jesus said that. It's more blessed to give than receive. Maybe that's a secret of happiness. And that is, if I try really hard to be happy... If I try really hard to get people to treat me nice so that I'm happy, I get deeper and deeper in a pit of selfishness. But if I do the sanctified selfishness thing and say, the best way for me to be happy is for me to love you, is for me to do something nice for you, is for me to think about you, for me to serve you. It's counterintuitive, but it's spiritually true. I think you know that's true, but I would just encourage you to do that. My mom taught me this way. A little club we had, Joy Club, meant Jesus and others in you. And there's a little song that went with it, which I'm not going to you know, persecute you by singing. But Jesus and others in you, what a wonderful way to spell joy. Said Mom would always say, put Jesus first and others second and yourself last, and then you'll have joy. And she actually gave me a little beanie to go with that. And it's in my office. If you want to see it, I'll show it to you for, for a price, uh, for money. Now, Hey, number six, faithfully attend worship. Even if it costs you, and I'm just going to skip forward it. I wish I could talk a long time about this, but in, in, in Psalm 84, it's like the idea there, if you go forward and you look at, at Psalm 84, you know the scriptures say much about the joy, delight that's connected uh, with worship. I, I do want to read you that one, 84 in, in verse 4. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, these singing praise to you. Blessed is the man whose strength is you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. Pilgrimage is hard, right? It's like hiking, hard, work, labor. You've got to shine your shoes, you've got to wash the car, you've got to change your oil, you've got to get your kids ready. You, they throw up, you've got to clean them up and get them ready again. And then, you, you know, they complain because you, you don't have breakfast, you've got to take your wife by McDonald's and, and get her some coffee. And then you finally, oh, I came to worship. That was so hard, you know. Why does it have to be so hard? I think I'd rather just stay home and watch more blather about NFL football. It's a lot easier, right, just to worship the devil instead of coming to church. But you know what? God, he's worth it, right? (laughs) Pastor Deserns and I think so. You know, I believe. We're like, amen? Like, he's worth it, right? I mean, of course he's worthy. He's worthy of everything. When we we have a right census about us and we get to heaven, millions, throngs, thunderclaps of God is worthy. Jesus is worthy. He's worth your sacrifice, your labor. It might be hard to worship. It might be, there might be obstacles. It might, be, might, be, it might take some planning. I might have to say no to something else. Don't come here because your, your wife badgered you to come. Don't come because your husband expects you to come. Don't come to church just to make good little obedient children out of your children or to keep your wife faithful to you or to get money. Come because God is God. And you owe him. Don't come because the pastor is interesting or funny or not funny or you like the way he teaches or he has whatever going on. That's not the important thing. Come because God is God and worship God. And there's delight in that, the Bible says. It was the Psalms say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house. There's a gladness, there's a joy, there's a delight in worship, faithfully attending worship. I have so much more to say about that. I'm moving on. Devote yourself to raising children who love the Lord. And the reason I say this is that's the Psalm 2, Psalm 127, my little soapbox. I won't be on it long today. The Bible says that if God chooses to bless you with children, that's blessed indeed. There's a great blessing there. So I'm just saying, one of the ways to be happy is have babies. Yeah, I mean, you were a baby once, right? If somebody hadn't thought that, you wouldn't be here. 
So that was a good idea at least once, right? And a lot of times we think, oh, no, I can't, be, I can't have a baby. I need a pool. Because that pool will make me happy and babies are just trouble. That's not what God says. The world comes along and says, oh, no, another baby. God says, I might be sending a conqueror. I might be sending a Samuel. I might be sending a deliverer. I might be sending the answer to the cure to cancer. I might be sending somebody into the world I'm going to do something wonderful with. So be kind of careful when you say you don't want a baby. Psalm 127 doesn't say it that way. In all the keys to happiness in the Bible, this is one of them in Psalm 127. It teaches that, uh, behold, children are heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has a quiver full of them. And with me, the last time in my life I've thought, I shouldn't have done that. That was dumb. I shouldn't have bought that. That didn't make me happy. I shouldn't have gone there. That just wasn't what it was built up to be. I've never felt that way about Kyle or Holly or Chuck or Heidi or Hannah or Daniel or Wes. Sometimes Chuck, but none of the other. None of the other. <laughs> never about Chuck. He delights my soul. I love him. Right? I mean, seriously, could you imagine ever a time when I would go, man, I wish we didn't have that kid. I'm serious about that. That's kind of cool. The Bible teaches that. So I won't say anything more about that because I know this is one of those things where everybody gets really quiet and they're like, mind your own business. My dad told me one time, when you preach, stay out of people's bedrooms. I'm like, come on, dad, seriously. You know, the Bible is, gets, the pastor gets in, into people's business like that sometimes. So I'll, I'll keep going because I know you're thinking about that and I don't want to get in a lot of trouble. Holly's working with a girl and, and the girl um, came into the office, came into the, where she's working. Holly had made this little necklace and it had a little ducky on it. So a little child's like rubber duck for the bathroom, a little tiny little thing on this necklace. And then behind it, she stamped the words, children are a blessing. And it was just a little necklace that she made herself. And, and without really thinking about it, she went to work that day, and this girl came into work, and she said, come over here, read my necklace. And the girl came over, and Holly said she's just horsing around being funny and being silly. She didn't read it to her. She just said, read it. Tell me what it says. Tell me what it says. And the girl takes it and quietly looks at it, and then just quietly says, children are a blessing. A couple days later, she came in, and she said, what Holly didn't know was right then she found out that she had an unwanted pregnancy. She had gone to a place she'd made an appointment to terminate that baby's life. She came back in that day, and that was the day that Holly said, "Hey, look at my necklace." And her eyes pulled with tears, and she said, "I made up my mind. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna have my baby. Children are a blessing." And by the way, God uses the silliest little things, doesn't He? So if you want to be happy, that's just a thought. And then a few more real quick. Number eight, read and listen to God's Word and obey it. All these passages, you've got to read them on your own, are basically saying don't just read the Word, obey it. Because happy people are people who don't just read the Word, but read it and obey it, or hear it and obey it. All those verses say that. Study them on your own. And number nine, make the choice to rejoice. Just choose to rejoice. It's like This sounds kind of corny, but it's like act happy for a while, and often if you act happy, you'll be happy. This is what the, the Scriptures Command us to rejoice. So you obey the command to rejoice. Choose to rejoice. Rejoice and sing through your tears, through your sorrow. Drive out that sorrow through choosing to verbally rejoice. Can I suggest to you that don't say everything bad you know. Don't say everything wrong you think. A lot of times you have great insight, and I can too, and we're old, so we have cynicism, and we can say, you know, I'm old enough now, I've been around the horn, I can, I can like say a lot of negative things, and I can really fill the air. I can turn the air blue with negative stuff, or I can stuff it and praise the Lord and rejoice 
And how, at the end of the day, if I have told all the insightful cynicism that I thought of, am I going to be happy at the end of that day? Or am I going to be more likely to be happy if at the end of the day I've spent my time just pointing out the good things I see? And that's what the Bible says. And, and so there's a sense in which our, that catches up with us. So make the choice to rejoice, o- obey. Number 10, feast and rejoice at regular seasons. Is this good? People say I always talk about food. <laughs> feast and rejoice. Is, uh, Nehemiah, the, remember the Bible where it says the joy of the Lord is our strength? It's in the context of, of him saying, the people are saying, well, I guess we should mourn now because, I mean, when you come to be with God, you should look very sad, serious, and solemn all the time. But, and there are sometimes you should very much look very sad, serious, and solemn. But not all the time. Sometimes you should come into his presence with a loud shout and a joyful song. And sometimes he says fast. And sometimes he says feast. And this is the way our life is supposed to work. So there are scheduled feasts in the Bible. Times of rejoicing. And God says, hey, right now is not the time for you to be fasting. Right now is the time for you to be feasting. Right now is time for you to be rejoicing. Right now is time for you to be singing. The joy of the Lord is going to be your strength. And I want to tell you, it's Christmas time, just go ahead. Sometimes your heart is crushed with a burden and you've lost a loved one and you don't know how you can make it and you know you never have enough money and there's expectations on you and there's taxes due and the government's weird, but Jesus is king and he's on his throne. So rejoice, rejoice, choose to rejoice. Do what he says. Sometimes that there will, will lift the unhappiness. And, and number 11 is consider Jesus. Right? He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief, right? So he understood sober. He, understand, he understood grief because he, uh, he sees everything, all the bad things that happen. Yet he was, according to Hebrews, anointed with the oil of gladness above all of his fellows. He said in John chapter 17, if you study this passage, in John chapter 17 he says, My desire is that the joy that I have would be in you. He's full of joy. The Bible says, angels in heaven rejoice over one who sinner who comes to repentance. So can you imagine how much rejoicing Jesus' heart does when multitudes of sinners over the years have been coming to repentance? Everyday sinners come to repentance. Jesus' heart is happy, happier than all the angels because sinners just keep coming to repentance. In our church this year, we've had a hard year, but sinners have come to repentance. This year, Jesus is happy about that. He's joyful about that. That should make us very glad full of joy and happiness. So the Bible says about Jesus. That's kind of interesting to me. Consider Jesus, though he endured the cross, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus was tempted. He wept with those who wept. He was holy, so he had a hatred for sin and injustice. He grieved over sin and hypocrisy. He he rejoiced with those who rejoiced, but he was hungry and he was weary and he was betrayed, and he was forsaken, and he was whipped, and he was mocked, and he was pursued, and he was tortured, and they killed him in front of his mother. She had to watch him die. would be a terrible thing to do to somebody. Your mother's here, and now we're going to nail you to a cross, and for hours you're going to writhe in the darkness on the cross, naked, and your mom's going to have to watch you die. Did you ever think about how horrible that must have been? And yet this was the one who says, the joy that I have on the cross because I'm looking forward to the joy. I endure the cross looking forward to the joy. That's the way we want to be. Yes, I have sadness in my life. Yes, I have grief and remorse and regret and things that are sad. But I have this overwhelming joy that kind of, pushes it out because I have Jesus living within me. 
It's interesting how much joy Jesus must have over... He says when the shepherd goes out and there's a 99 in the fold and the one sheep that gets lost and the shepherd goes out and he finds the one sheep that's lost, what does he do when he comes back? He's rejoicing over the one sheep that's found. And think of the millions upon millions of lost sheep that Jesus has found and the joy that he must have. The way he describes heaven is enter into the joy of your master. Heaven is described as the joy of Jesus. Jesus is happy. When you're blue, consider him. Even though he had the crushing weight of the entire world on his soul, he found a way to have genuine joy. And it wasn't glib or cheap. It wasn't like a carnival. You ever notice you go to a happy place and most people aren't, aren't happy? You ever notice that? You, like go to a place that's building, hey, this is entertainment. You're supposed to be happy here. You're paying a lot of money to be happy here. That's the, almost a the guaranteed way not to be happy, Right? Like fly here and spend a lot of money and take your only vacation and grab your kids and your wife and go to this place that's extremely expensive and you go from one ride to another. Okay, go ahead and do that. Watch people's faces while you're doing that. Just watch them. They're like, okay, we've got to get over to this ride. We've got to get our money's worth out of this. Honey, do you have any idea? I paid $2.50 for that Coke. Be careful with that. Okay, I was like, we've got to get here. You know, it's like they're not. Most of the time, they're not happy. Now, I just like, I I theorize the honeymoon is awesome. But we're probably going to know more about genuine happiness. We talked to somebody who's been married about 60 years and they've been through all kinds of stuff together. And they kind of sit quietly in the glider on the porch and hold hands. They got something to tell us, you know, about joy. Uh, Consider the the joy of Jesus, this real, real joy in Him. And that's 11, and there's only 12. And that's this one. Train yourself to think right. Train yourself to think right. You, you, this, is, this is something that even in modern psychology, you know, they kind of stumble over and, and recognize to be true. The way you process your thoughts is the biggest thing, you know. How do you process your thoughts? And the Bible has a word for that. It's called meditation. What is your meditation? What's the meditation of your heart? And finally, brethren, whatever things are true and noble and just, whatever things are pure, think on these things and so forth. That's in Philippians 4.8. I got, I got to quit. I, I studied recently the story of the oppressive regime in Romania. Some of you Romanians are here today, and you, you can teach me about this, but I read about it. I found it really interesting back in the 80s to watch what had happened. They had this, oppre- this Chalcesco, the oppressive regime. Do you realize that the, the dictator said no church bells are going to ring? And for over 45 years, can you imagine... Some, if, it, if a child was, was, if a person was less than 45 years old in Romania, they had never heard a church bells ring. And finally one day, they were able to over, there was a revival in Romania, and there was a revolution that was spur, spurred by a revival in Romania, and the government was overthrown, and the dictator was actually killed, was actually executed. And then on Christmas Day, for the first time in 45 years, all over Romania and in Bucharest, there were church bells ringing for the first time because the dictator had been overcome and the joy came back to the nation. I want to encourage you that there is joy in Jesus even if the bells of your heart have been silent for many, many years. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, help, I pray, the folks here to experience the joy that they can only have in following you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.